Alan C. Gardner here with my good friend Clinton Cornwell, and this is the Story Life Podcast. Episode four. Wow. Actually, I had a little jingle in my head. Sorry, excuse my terrible singing, but it was, it was something like, Welcome to the Story Life Podcast. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad we're rolling on that, because that... <laughs> <laughs> No, I like I, it. Uh, I don't know if you do this, but I constantly am coming up with, with songs yes. based on mundane sentences. I do that um, a lot. I do that a lot with, I mean, with my kids, but also just on my, I've been doing that for years. I'll just be driving somewhere. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm uh, breaking out in a song to some extent, at least. Yeah. So. Usually it's like one sentence for me that becomes like a, 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 a little line in the song and it just, that sentence... That just goes over and over again, and I'll sort of narrate, narrate my experiences with that one. Like I would eat peanut butter toast for breakfast every morning, and I had a little song that went with that about sure making peanut butter toast. Sure, <laughs> I don't remember it. I know I, I don't say, remember. I'd it love to hear it. I would, I would. No, I, would I was sing it. But. I was so uh, yeah. I, I very much so relate to you to you uh, having broken the song. I'm still. Uh, I'm. I feel even more connected to you now. I think than than ever before. I'm like, oh, Great. this, this guy, <laughs> this guy's a weirdo too, which I already knew that. But, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you got to be a, I mean, you're not a true filmmaker unless, unless you're really you're in touch a, with your weirdness. Yeah. No, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Now when I, uh, when I drive the boys in the morning, you know, I take a lot of school, I just, uh, will start kind of breaking out into a, on the play, pretty much anywhere. I'll just kind of break out into a random. Hey folks, let me know if he wants to hear it right then, or if he's, if he's good, if he doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't need it. Sorry. <laughs> But it's always when they start singing it, though, like when it's something I came up with and they just start singing it later on. That's when I that's a real sense of uh, of fulfillment and validation. Right yes. There. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm like that one hit uh, that one hit. By the way, this is this is uh, episode four of our Story Life podcast. Uh, today, we got an episode where we're mostly going to be talking about the creative process, uh, especially as concerned with writing and acting. Yes. And um, we're excited to share it with you. I thought it was a good episode. I did too. Uh, so yeah. good yeah. stuff. We're talking a lot about casting and what we look for with actors and whatnot. And so, yeah, let's let's get into it. How are you doing? Uh, what's our sanity check? I'm doing like, good, Clinton. What's your sanity? Check? <laughs> you know, considering uh, this is the closest thing to an apocalypse we've ever experienced, it's really not that bad for me personally. As far as so. yeah, apocalypse-like events go, yeah, th- this could be a lot rougher. Most of us regular people have to sort of collectively stop thinking about the future for the time being because sure. it's just so uncertain and so outside of our control. We kind of just drive ourselves crazy. But at the same time, you sort of have to be uh, conservative and, and preparing yourself for whatever might come. And sort of hitting that balance is, is really difficult uh, for yourself, like mentally and emotionally. Doubly so for you with, with the expanding family you have. Yeah, like I said, like overall, I'm doing really well. Like since we last spoke, it's been a really great week. But uh, you know, of course, I mean, I mean, financial stress also is that's nothing new. It's not like that started like when the pandemic started. Uh, that's something I've been dealing yeah. with for you know 20 years now. So used to it. No, it's 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 weird for us as filmmakers too because I feel like I'm constantly in this sort of cycle of rising stress and anxiety that slowly builds up over time as you get closer to like a shoot or a project or a deadline or something like that then Mm. you sort of like clear the decks 
so to speak, you you do the project and then you have to like start on the next one, which allows all of your stress to sort of like jump down as like nothing is imminent. And then you slowly get on that build again. And we're constantly sort of on this this roller coaster ride of doing that. But now there's no deadlines. There's nothing imminent. There's nothing coming, which is its own sort of depressing thing. But also for my day to day stress levels, it's very it's very actually relaxing because there's nothing big. There's nothing big on the way, you know, there's nothing, I don't have a shoot that I need to get everything lined up for. I don't have a film festival deadline that I need to hit everything for, you know, there's right. nothing can really happen right now, which is its, you know, sort of own sort of strange freedom. Yeah. For me, my big like deadlines that I've needed to hit right now, like haven't changed as far as I need to, I want to finish a solid cut of the new movie, Baby Come Home. Uh, before, well, incidentally, before my new baby come, comes home. Um, <laughs> and right now, like, you know, I need to get, as, long story short, and kind of talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but I need to get a new computer to do that because my current computer, it's too bogged down and getting too old to allow me to edit at a decent enough rate. It's just kind of constant spinny ball and it drives me crazy. So, you know, it's like running through sand with cement shoes or something. I just, you know, I got to fly free. When you're editing, you got to get that flow going. And like when every third action you take is like interrupted by, you know, 10 to 15 seconds of spinny ball, like it'll drive you nuts. So anyway, that's that's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. So, yeah, but I'm also, you know, trying to figure out again the financial situation. Like, okay, because whenever I do get like I don't buy a ton of like stuff, you know, when it comes to like big purchases, like, you know, a car, a computer, what have you, like things that I'll ultimately really need. Like usually I use what I have at my disposal for as long as I can. Uh, like, you know, my, my current, like my MacBook, like I've had for eight years now. Um, and you know, my previous car I had for shoot 17 years. So it's like I'll use these things like as long as I possibly can until like it's pretty much you know for what I need them for until it's I just really can't anymore. Yeah. I don't spend that money lightly. Absolutely. So now it's like okay, I need no, a new computer, and I finally got a new car. And usually when I get the new thing, like you know, I want to get something solid that's going to last me because I'm going to really use it. You know what I mean? So anyway, like what? So when I'm looking at a computer and stuff. I know it's going to cost a little bit. Um, blah blah blah. So I'm trying to figure that out so I can get a computer as soon as possible. Finish editing that movie, and I also want to finish a draft of this script that I'm currently working on right now, Breaker Breaker. So those are like my two kind of like uh, big self-imposed deadlines um, that I've had for like the last few months, like before the new baby's here. What's your uh, What's your budget for the computer? Have you figured it out now? I'm still kind of figuring that out, that out, but. I mean, it's something that costs more than, you know, I would like to spend on it right now. But well, <laughs> well, if you wanted to, I mean, I know you're not a PC guy, but uh, just off, you know, I went deep into this recently, just about what you could get for what price. But we could probably get a computer good enough to edit your movie on for like 800 bucks oh, really? um, for, for PC. Yeah. Okay. Just a thought. You're no, on, I you're appreciate in it. I'll tight that. financial times, so yeah, yeah. Happy to offer that. my knowledge in that situation. So cool. Um, sweet. Oh yeah. So I just remembered too what we discussed last week that we we're going to talk about, which we can you know jump into now or later on, however you want to do it. But working with actors, am I right? Yes. For 
Uh, first, let's let's go over our goals. Whether sure. we hit our goals for this week. How'd you do? For me, I think I did. I kind of did four four no. I had four goals. I think I hit them all. Um, cool. I did a fairly substantial new pass of both my short The Urge and a new pass of In the Dark. So those went good. I'm feeling good about that writing. I feel like I made some good steps forward. Um, I conceptualized and outlined another new short film which is currently called Woman Bites Man. And I got a scene-by-scene outline, so that's that's good. I should be able to write a vomit draft uh, this week. And I have written down that I, I, I would brainstorm feed for a feature. I didn't quite do that, but what I did is I revisited one of my old features that I had outlined. I had about um, like a 40-page scene-by-scene outline for a feature by the name of The Haunted. And one of my friends, he just happened to have gotten done writing a script a first draft of a script and uh, me and him have talked about working together. So I sort of like looked at the outline, went over it and talked out with him and he's going to write a first draft of it. So cool. I think, uh, yeah, I think that that's not quite brainstorming a new feature, but it is getting motion on an old one, putting work into yeah. an old one. So I think that's good. I'll enough. say that counts. So yeah, it was a good, ri- good writing week for me. Good. How about you? I did pretty well overall. Like I definitely, um, I finished the filmmaker reel. Um, I started sending that out. I started emailing some reps a couple days ago, um, and gathering some more, uh, content information for reps. Like I said, I'm just going to, you know, keep tossing my hat in the ring. And, um, basically every couple of years I try to like, you know, send like a new wave of emails to, to reps. I always get some feedback. Like I haven't gotten anything like basically I haven't signed with anyone because right now I'm looking for someone to rep me for acting and writing and, and directing. And now with the reel and uh, save yourself out there and cold feet coming soon and baby come home on the horizon and the one I'm working on now. Anyway, I think now's a good time. And obviously with the state of the world and whatnot, I'm just going to see if someone uh, gives me the time, basically, and gives me a shot. So yeah, we'll see. So been doing that. And then kind of like my and then, oh, yeah, also getting ready to launch act one. Uh, we're pretty much good to go for that. We just have to wait for, uh, you know, with Vimeo, like Vimeo Pro, you can only upload like 20 gigs a week. So we're just having to wait for that to reset again on Wednesday. Yeah, it's so, so we fucking can... trash. I hate Vimeo so much. Oh, you too? <laughs> this just seems like a giant scam to me. Somehow the uh, the independent industry has like adopted it for a standard. Yeah. But everything you pay for in Vimeo, you can just do better on YouTube for free. Fair enough. I do wish... There's one thing with YouTube I wish you could do, which... At least last time I checked, you couldn't. I love with Vimeo that you can replace a file and still maintain the same that's link. That's true. That is one thing you can't do on YouTube. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's my one kind of whatever gripe with YouTube. But again, you know, it's free, so I can't really gripe about it too much. But that's why I usually flock to Vimeo. And kind of like you said, like for whatever reasons, you know, we've kind of adopted it as the, the industry standard or whatnot. So it's the more acceptable, like professional standard, I guess. Right, right, right. But anyway, so we're getting really close to, yeah, being able to launch that. We're probably going to put that up for pre-sales like on Tuesday. All right. Let me know. I'm going to pre-sell it. I will. I appreciate that. You will get a portion of my unemployment check. <laughs> I appreciate that. When you put it like that, 
I mean, I'm <laughs> gladly take your money. Oh yeah, so that and then oh yeah, and then like my goal that I kind of tacked on at the end last week, which is like you know we'll see. And I am still, of course, working on. It's finishing up the uh, the breaker breaker treatment, uh, which I was working on right up until uh, we hopped on here, and which I will dive back into after we we hop off. So I didn't quite finish that, but I've been making good progress and just kind of uh, chipping away as I can. A question for you. I'm mean, just out of curiosity. Yeah. So what is what does that treatment look like for you? Like, what are your goals for that? Like, what is the format for you? Like, what step in the process is this for you? All right. So right now, I'll just tell you, like, I have three documents in front of me. One's called Breaker Breaker Notes. One's called Breaker Breaker Worksheet. And one's Breaker Breaker Treatment. So kind of like what I've done, mm. like with the notes, I've been taking the notes for a while and I kind of start corralling things and organizing things to a certain extent or just actually with the notes, I mostly just kind of like list everything out, like things I want to incorporate, um, ideas, lines, moments, like what have you. And then the worksheet, like, so I kind of like then like, we'll copy and paste things over into the worksheet and start kind of doing some organizing there. Or like combining or like making sense of certain things. And then once I'm like, oh, here's where it's going to go into the story. Then I bring it over into the treatment. When I was single, like I basically be able to write for like hours and hours on end. And now that I've got a kid, like, you know, I have to write more in manageable like chunks. Yeah. So instead of just being able to like get on a train, like go, 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 go. And like next thing, next thing, next thing. Like now I have to kind of like, okay, be able to like lay out information in a way where I can basically where I can come back, where I can, you know, put it time out and then come back to it. Like whenever I'm able to. Yeah. Yeah. This system is kind of like allowing me to, you know, do that basically. Um, so yeah, so the treatment is going to be a pretty detailed, like, you know, step-by-step walkthrough of the movie. Is it in prose? Is it prose? Like, do you just write it out like a story or how, how does the treatment like what is the format of the treatment? Yeah, it's pretty much prose. Yeah, yeah. I'll um like the format is act one, scene one. Then I'll like write out kind of like what's going on in the scene. Then the same like scene two. Then I'll have like a bunch of like like a dash like this. Like each dash is kind of like a fairly big paragraph, and like each scene consists of like several dashes, so several like big paragraphs. What it's going to wind up being is like I've heard it described this way before with treatments. It's like you know the campfire version of the story. Where it's like everything that happens is like laid out in the treatment. So it's like, you know, you go around the campfire. Like this is, you know, here's the story. Like this is what happens to these guys and gals. And here's the story. And then like also put in like certain specific lines that I come up with that I want to retain. Like, oh, when I actually start typing the script, like I'll, you know, this is what he'll say right here or some version of it. Mm -hmm. So I do pretty detailed treatments. Like outline, treatment, what have you. So when I start actually writing the script in script format, I've already got the whole movie pretty much essentially written. Then I'm just kind of like fleshing it out mm-hmm. more and doing a little more like, you know, refining and, you know, the nuances and, and whatnot. Cool. Yeah. So I'm very excited. And like I was saying right before we started recording, and this is how I always feel like writing is hard. Writing is very hard. And uh, I love it. Each little foothold I get in this story, every little step I take is is very exciting. It's pretty thrilling. Like, you know, I'm just like, okay, just feeling like, you know, you know how you feel like when you feel like, oh, I'm making progress. And right now I can feel yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm actually like these, I'm putting these pieces together. No, definitely. For me, for when something clicks, when, when I get an idea that it's a clear improvement or a really good thing, like that almost has like a hundred percent hit rate like if i have that feeling then that thing is good and it's going to stick in the story Mm -hmm. no matter what so it's always really nice when when that happens and yeah uh, especially a lot of that that stuff tends to 
you know, when you're really focused on it and focused on the details and immersed in it, that stuff can just sort of hit at any time, whether right. you're working on it or not. So yeah, man, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. And also, I mean, this script, you know, this is and I've I've done several several movies, several scripts that have had like long gestation periods where I had the idea years before, and then like every now and then I would like dust it off and come back to it, and then finally write it when the time comes, and then finally make the movie. But this one is probably the longest as far as when I first conceived like the germ of the idea, like the initial idea was what seven years ago now. And then, but you know, it just wasn't the time to write it. And I knew what it was at its very core, but I didn't know yet, like even like, you know, over the intervening years, like, oh, it's like, oh, I start kind of figuring out the characters and I start figuring out the, like all these, you know, start expanding on it. And I basically had it all worked out. I had a whole, you know, very detailed treatment done. I'd written like, you know, 50 something pages of the script. And then like, I started having this funny feeling. I'm like, this isn't quite what this is supposed to be. So mm-hmm. I kind of like scrapped it all. And I took all the things about it that I that I thought were working and resonating with me and the things that I felt like, oh, this is what the movie is. And then took all those things. And now I just kind of rebuilt the whole thing from the ground up with all the elements that I was excited about and that were working for me. But yeah, so that was kind of a, a, a fairly painful decision to make, but also I couldn't deny it. So I'm like, all right, it yeah. is what it is. And also it's good to remind yourself too in those moments. It's like, it's not like any progress was lost or like you know it was obviously it wasn't any kind of time no, that wasted. was the progress yeah, yeah like, it was the progress yeah and everything that i'd done up to that point like further informed like oh what this is actually going to be what this story actually is so now i feel very much like you know in tune with what it is in a way that i didn't in the previous incarnation so i'm really excited now i'm like okay this is it now i just have to like get it all down and get that fucking first draft down and that's always yeah. a momentous occasion. And then go from there. Uh, when do you think you'll have the uh, treatment done? Honestly, it's one of those things that like, could be like, the more I go through, I'm like, oh, okay, it's actually, it's getting pretty close. Like it could be next time. It could be in a week. It could be the end of the month. I'll see where I'm at a week from now and go from there. Very well could yeah. be, the treatment very well could be done by then. Now it's kind of like I'm at a point where it's, I think, fingers crossed, and I don't, I won't make any promises on this, but. I'm like, I could maybe have a draft of the script done by the time this uh, <laughs> this uh, stay-at-home order is lifted in mid-May, if it does get lifted in mid-May. So yeah, I'm hoping for that. If not that, then I'll have, you know, I'll definitely have the treatment done by then, and I'll definitely be making some, you know, progress on writing out the, the script. And I'm still debating, I might, because I'm doing it as a play first, and then I'm doing the movie right after. So I'll probably just write the write it out in play format first, and then, yeah, adapt it into the script right after, the screenplay right after. Or maybe vice yeah, versa. Yeah. Or maybe vice versa. So our big topic, yeah. I guess, I mean... Sort of <laughs> working with actors. We need. We need. I feel like we need a. We'll we'll have jingles eventually. When we right. This, if we ever release this. So our big topic, yeah. I guess. I mean, sort of working <laughs> with actors. I don't know. I don't know. We didn't. We didn't uh, talk format for this. We haven't. We haven't talked format about really how we how we tackle our big topics yet. So we have not. Um, which we which we haven't even really been doing. So I guess we'll just kind of like we'll feel this out. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Let's just kind of feel it out. Let's just go a little back and forth. So yeah, we're gonna talk about our approaches to working with with actors. Do you want to kick this off? Let's do this sort of chronologically through the process. Maybe that'll be a good way cool. to help us sort of 
wrap this all up. So uh, first things first, casting. How do you approach casting and how do you sort of plant seeds during casting or how does your approach to casting inform kind of like the work going forward? Because we started making movies like in high school and back then like casting consisted mostly of like, oh, these friends that we have, some of them who were actors and some who weren't, but it's like, okay, who can we write something for? Or who can we like, you know, have come in and say these few lines or, or whatnot? You know, it was, it was great. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And then that kind of, some variation of that kind of continued on through the first few like features we did on this movie we made years ago called Lost and Found. It was kind of like when I first like basically discovered casting sites. This is in 2004. Stuff like Now Casting and LA Casting and Actors Access and all that. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I'm very grateful, for, you know, for everyone who we worked with before then, too. It was, it was interesting and a lot of, you know, were fantastic. But it was interesting to be able to uh, broaden, you know, expand our horizons and basically cast a wider net. You know what I mean? And like, oh, we have access to all these other people that we never even had thought of. But, you know, we didn't, that wasn't, we didn't know that was a possibility for young independent filmmakers, whatnot. So anyway, that was very exciting. I remember getting like, oh, wow, we're getting like hundreds of submissions. And then it became like thousands of submissions. Yeah. So like there's certain roles that I'll write and I know exactly who it's going to be for. And it's usually like in those cases, it's a friend that I've, I've worked with before. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, okay, we'll have to bring in like, for instance, like Breaker Breaker, where I'm writing right now. Like, I know it's going to be me and my buddy Matt Gilliam in it. And then besides that, like I've got some other actors in mind. It's a small cast. It's a pretty, it's a very small cast. And I'm definitely planning yeah. on casting from my current pool of, you know, of friends and collaborators, except for this one role, we're definitely going to have to bring in uh, some people for, because uh, it's a young guy, like, you know, who's going to need to be in his late teens or very, very early twenties. And me and my friends, we are aged out of, of that, uh, <laughs> that demographic right there. So anyway, um, yeah. So you're asking like, how do I conduct like in the in the casting sessions, or or just you know how are you how do you go about it? Like what are you what are you looking for? Like these sorts of things. I'm always looking for someone who. I mean, I'm probably going to wind up saying some things that are very obvious here, but I'm looking for someone who seems to really get what it is that that I'm going for, and someone who can bring their own kind of, in a way, you know, personality or not even personality, but like their own personal however you want to phrase like essence, like their own personal spin on it, who can come in and, you know, cause when you're casting, like you're definitely, and I've heard like, you know, cast directors say this before and whatnot. And as an actor, it's good to keep this in mind as well, is that when an actor comes in, like you're rooting for them. Like you want every actor to be amazing and you want every actor to, to really deliver. So it's like, you are on the actor's side. You know what I mean? Like from the moment they come in, you're like, Oh, I hope this person comes in and just crushes it. And like, they are the, the one. For this part. So again, like when I'm, you know, going in and auditioning for other people's stuff, I try to keep that in mind. And so, which, which does help that feeling. So anyway, yeah, I'm just looking for someone who, yeah, seems to really, you know, first of all, someone who seems like pleasant, like to work with, like someone who seems like they'd be cool to have on set or on stage. Cause that's my biggest thing is honestly, is I want to work with people that seem like good people that I'd actually want to spend time with. Cause I really don't care how quote unquote good or talented or whatever you are, if you seem abrasive or if you're just not someone I want to like hang out with, then I'm not going to want to work with you and I won't cast you. Um, no, granted, yeah. that can be very, very difficult to gauge in a casting session because for the most part, people are putting their best foot forward, of course, and not coming in seeming like, you know, a total jerk, even if they might be that to some extent in real life. 
So, you know, I basically try to vet people like, so say it's someone who I feel like, oh, we're probably going to cast this person. They seem like the best one for the role, but I want to make sure there's someone I can actually like have a conversation with and collaborate with throughout this process. So then sometimes like, you know, invite them like to coffee or whatever, basically, and just have a conversation with them and just try as much as possible to get them to really like, you know, to really gauge like who they are as a person before I officially cast them. But yeah, what about you? What are you, when you're casting, what are you looking for? I tend to, yes, cast from people that I know. I've never done the wide blast of like really sifting through an actor's access gotcha. like call or anything like that, which I should probably challenge myself to do that, actually. It's always really rewarding when you can, ca- I mean, like I love casting my friends and people already know, but also I've realized over the years, like from casting the net wide and like going to actor's access, or whatever, like, you know, one of my closest friends, uh, Matthew Stiller is someone who I met through by reading like, you know, over a hundred people for a particular role and it wound up Hmm. being him. And then he and I just wound up being, you know, buddies. And then he was in my wedding and like, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, and then now he's just part of my, my repertory of actors and also just the, you know, family to me. So anyway, I'm always on the hunt for actors, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So if I'm like watching indie movies or I hear about somebody or there's somebody in like my extended circle who's an actor, I'm always watching actors reels like constantly. Cool. And I think that's sort of what I do in lieu of the big call because watching reels is a, a pretty easy way to sort of get a gauge of whether yes. somebody's good enough for a role. It's, you know, it usually only takes a few seconds to tell if they've sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but the first thing is sort of whether you believe the words that are coming out of their mouth. Right. Yeah. And oh, that's yeah. that's nearly immediate. And you can get that really quickly from somebody's reel. Yes. And then the second thing I always try and look for is if somebody's really listening and doing stuff between the lines in their footage. Sometimes that's a little harder to gauge because Maybe the actors aren't cutting for that, or maybe just the work doesn't feature them enough in the reel. But I'm always looking, uh, yeah, if they're, if they're listening in between the lines, like right. they're, they're not just waiting for their turn to speak their lines. Yes. Is a really big thing to look for. Yeah, that's typically how it goes in terms of like, I have all these people of like, I've watched their reels and I've been like, oh, this person is, is you know, sort of, I have like, I don't have an actual list, but I have sort of a mental list of people that I think are like more skilled versus like less skilled or it's also important to me that somebody seems like engaged in their career so if an actor's reel is five years old versus an actor's reel that is like six months old like that's i i to me that's telling about how seriously somebody is like approaching their career Mm -hmm. which is one factor because when i'm casting somebody i want somebody who's really engaged in and trying to advance themselves in their career in the same way that i am as opposed to somebody who like i'm going to cast them in this role and then they're going to like quit acting like right after does that make sense because sure the theory for me as independent filmmakers we're all kind of like lifting each other up it's one factor that I'm that I'm hunting for is somebody that seems more likely to be sort of engaged in that collective struggle that we're all a part of. Yeah, I like that. Usually, like, I have my list of, of people that I want to work with, and I tend not to pre-visualize what a role looks like or what energy it should have or anything like that. I don't picture a character in my mind, really. And even okay. to the point in the script, unless a physical detail is actually relevant to, like, who the character is, right. I'm not going to write that physical detail in like i don't typically write race in you know i don't and i don't write much physical appearance stuff unless it's really relevant to the character 
Same. And so makes casting a little bit harder. But on the other hand, it's sort of a bit more open in that you can just go for the most sort of like skilled people instead of some preconceived look and judging somebody's physical appearance or what energy you like. I don't I don't believe in like any of that stuff. Right. I, I'm saying all I, I write exact height, weight, age and hair color. But besides that, I leave it completely open. <laughs> <laughs> so then once I've like narrowed down a list, I reach out to them usually like, hey, are you available for this? I try and not reach out to people until we have dates really set or like a general date set or at least like what the budget's going to be, if there's going to be pay. Not like reach out to them to the with these details. And then from there, it's sort of a judgment of engagement by them and enthusiasm by them. Yeah. Because I assume most people are not going to be total pieces of shit. Like they're going to be good enough to like hang out with and work with. Most people are. But the more important thing, especially in this indie space for me, is like finding people who are really going to engage and are enthusiastic about working with me and working on the project. What I, you know, typically let directors know, like when it's something that I'm acting in and I try to let, you know, the filmmakers know that like, look, like I'm I'm here to deliver like to the best of my abilities, whatever it is that you need from me. Like my job is to is to serve that. Like I want to know any specifics, any I want to know the exact parameters that you that you want to give me. Any details you want to give me. Anything you want to give me. Like I want to ingest it all, and then like I'll justify, like I'll inform like my performance from there. I just want to be able to give you exactly what you want as as much as possible. I'm really on your team, so that's what yeah, like you're saying. Yep. Like, that's why I look for in, in actors as well. That that sense of like oh they're here to collaborate and to basically you know deliver what it is that I need that my team and I need. Definitely all of that stuff. There's also like smaller things. So obviously the coffee meeting is a big part of it, right? Like meeting with somebody for coffee like you were talking about or mm-hmm. a phone call or whatever it needs to be and just talking to them yeah. and sort of seeing. You can usually get a really good sense of what somebody's going to bring to the table. For me, I'm always trying to engage sort of their creative spirit and their collaborative spirit and really let the actors know that for me, it's not just about them trying to hit some perfect mark that I have set in my mind, but it like they know their character better than I do like that's their one focus my focus is on the movie overall their focus should be on their character right and so it's a collaboration between the two of us and our two expertises and so I'm always trying to like almost with all actors that I've worked with I'm trying to empower them more than I'm ever trying to reel them back because I I find that so many actors have come up with this notion that the, the director is all and you should be trying to serve the director and stuff like that and there there is a certain helpfulness to that at a certain extent but I feel like I'm always more desiring of actors that are artistically engaged and will be active and and, and bringing things to the table and bringing suggestions to the table and like really engaged with the material. Oh, yeah. Again, as like as an actor with the director and the writer, my whole thing is I just want to be able to show up and make sure that like, again, like that we're on the same page and that I'm able to like give them what they want. Mm -hmm. I'll ask all the questions in the world that I can that I can come up with anything that I think will help like zero in on that. And the more preparation you do before the shoot, obviously, the more you're then able to like you try to get as many of the questions out of the way as possible. And that's, you know, obviously a quality I look for. Basically, anything that I exhibit as an actress, the, the kind of qualities I look for, you know, in other actors as far as, you know, these are the things that I think, obviously, just my own perception that I feel like really helps serve the the common goal. And, you know, so when you show up on set, you're able to, like, to move pretty quickly because you've had a lot of these conversations before production. And you've discussed, like, the character and, you know, beat by beat, like, with the story and how they fit into the story and this, that, and the other to a large extent. So then when yep. you show up, like you can work quickly and you can, you know, and then you can play more too. You can try different things and you can kind of, yeah, pivot and explore further. And, and I think that's why I'm always sort of trying to to tease out 
it's two sides of the same coin, but somebody's one dedication, enthusiasm for the project, but two also their work ethic. Yeah. This is not an indictment of actors as a whole, but there are a lot of actors who sort of just have the attitude of like, I'm just going to perform and I'm just going to show up on set and like, it'll be yeah, good. No. And like, frankly, like that, that's not good enough. Like, no. and you can sort of, you can sort of get <laughs> bamboozled by them for the lack of a better word, because their audition could be good. And that coffee meeting, they seem very charming and stuff like that. But then if you're not paying attention, you're missing the cracks at, at the edges that are, that are suggestions about well, hey, maybe this person isn't going to put in the work that that they really should be right. to to give the best performance and and be the most sort of flexible and ready on set. So, some of those things are like not nobody has to do any one of these things, but these are these are just like small things that I'm looking for, right? Like if they're commenting on the script and like bringing ideas about about the movie, like that's a good sign. If they are quick to respond to you uh that's a good sign on yes. the other hand if they are very slow to respond to you that's that's usually a big pretty big warning sign yes if they're quick to sort of commit to dates and, and you're very easily able to sort of schedule them or lock down lock down when they're able to meet or when they're able to be on set like that's a good sign on the yes. other hand if it's if they're very vague or it's hard to schedule them or they're they're sort of they're they're bad about getting back to you about the specifics of when they're available that tends to be a bad sign. If they're taking notes or if they're if you're talking about the character and it's clear they've been working on it outside of your meetings, like they've yes. already been doing their own preparation, like that's a really great sign. If they're not bringing anything and they're just sort of like listening to you, not taking notes, just sort of, you know, you don't even know what's going on in their brain. That That's like a bad sign. Um, those are the main ones. And I'm like, I'm in, and I'm not in a process of like, constantly trying to like judge these people but you you have you need to pay attention to these details to make sure you don't end up sort of going into battle so to speak with with somebody who's not going to be there for you which i've had those experiences as i'm as i'm sure you have had those experiences yeah. and it's just it's fucking crushing it's heart it just crushes your soul when you're putting your everything your entire life, like all of your money and all of your work and all of your time yeah. mm-hmm. into this movie. And then you just have somebody who's supposed to be one of your main collaborators. Like to me, the director actor relationship is like central to what being a, a filmmaker and a film director is. And to have one of those people have it be clear that they don't really care that much about your project is just, oh, it's devastating. So that's what I'm always trying to like protect myself from essentially yeah because i you know you want actors to be able to show up and to be as prepared as possible and i don't like i don't know i have had i mean again for the most part i've been very very fortunate with everyone i worked with i mean you know long 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 time ago there was an actor i worked with and i didn't have a bad experience with this person overall but there are certain moments i mean there's one moment in particular where basically long story short there was something i needed him to do and it said you know in the script like, you know, it was scripted. And then I also, you know, told him as a director, like, you know, and here's why and this, that, and the other. And he kind of like, and I was also acting with him in the scene and he just wouldn't do it. And, you know, I remember having like cut and I'm like, Hey, so like, you know, I, <laughs> you know, this is again, a long time. I was in my very early twenties and I couldn't understand. Like I was trying to get, I was like, I need you to do this thing. So well, well I, I can't do that. I don't because I don't feel like compelled to do or something. He was trying to be very, very actorly about it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's yeah. let's talk it out. 
And he's like, just so you know, I'm not going to, I'm basically, I just need him to leave the room. His character was supposed to leave the room. It said in the script, he leaves the room. Wait, that's it? We, yeah. With blogging. He's I like, thought you were going to say you needed him to like jack off on screen or something. No, like no, that. no. This is like a very simple thing. It's like, he's like, well, he's being very, he's like, I'm trying to be like, you know, I feel like, you know, I wouldn't actually leave unless like, I really need to feel like, you know, that like you forgive me for this. And they only until like, I feel that like, that's when I, the only way I could justify leaving. I'm like, no, dude. Like, this is not how, how it works. Like, I'm all for, like, I want you to be able to justify. And again, this is, like, as an actor, like, there are certain things that your director and the writer or whatever, like, might need you to do that maybe at first might seem, you know, like, oh, I, I, you know, I feel like my character wouldn't do this for this, that, the other reason. It's good to, like, to flag those things and to discuss them, right? But if at the end of the day, like, the filmmakers need you to do this, the director tells you to do the thing, for me as an actor, it's like, okay, now I just have to, like, cool, I stated my case, you know what I mean? Now I just have to justify it and work it out in a way that, to me, makes sense, you know what I mean? Like, as this character that I can, like, buy into, because you know what? This is my job. I have to deliver what it is that they're asking me. I've had my conversation about it, you know? I was respectfully heard out. And if they still need me to do this thing, then I just have to make it work. You know what I mean? So for this actor to just tell me he wasn't going to (laughs) leave the room. That's that's pretty crazy. Honestly, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eventually he did leave. But I remember like, I'm like, this is much more of a discussion slash becoming an argument than it was really needed to be. But he was trying to be very like, and he was one of those actors, you know, who the more, all right, the more he quoted certain like, you know, things that his acting teacher said and things he read in, you know, an acting book and whatnot and this, that, the other, the more I realized he was overcompensating for his yeah. <laughs> abilities. Sometimes when an actor just keeps talking and talking and talking about when they make it try to sound like they're so good and they're so like, in, you know, insightful and this, that and the other. And then when it's time to, to show up and, and, you know, do their job, some usually those people are the ones who kind of... Uh, fall short because usually it's an ego thing like they're trying to like you know make it seem they're trying to yeah. seem cool and they're trying to make it sound like they know exactly what they're doing and like you know exert this kind of like you know exude this kind of uh confidence and uh, anyway ego tripping and none of this is to say that like you or i are really superior to anyone else we are in a certain sense in that as the director you're sort of the leader of the project yeah it's not about superiority it may sound superior to be sort of demanding a certain level of uh attentiveness and work ethic and enthusiasm from actors but i'm only demanding or expecting of them the same things that i expect from myself you know yeah like you said like i wouldn't put any expectation upon them that i wouldn't put almost doubly so on myself. And so it's just if if I'm going to be putting so much into a project and, and just sort of the economy of how many creative people there are in this business trying to do things, you know, and dying to do work. If you're not going to bring it, you know, I'd much rather be down the road with somebody who will. Yeah. Like my whole thing is like I put a premium on quality of life for people and set on them having a great experience. I want everyone to have a lot of fun, to feel very like creatively mm-hmm. engaged and to feel like they're really able to like collaborate and really bring what they have to bring to the table and that they're heard and respected. And like that's what matters most to me, more so than the movie itself, period. And I also believe that like, you know, great work comes as a result of that kind of overall like harmonious environment, that environment in which, you know, everyone feels like they can show up and and have a good time and really thrive. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm I'm pretty easy to work with. And I'm sure like a lot of people who maybe aren't easy to work with maybe feel that way too. But I think I have a pretty clear eyed sense of the fact that like I think I'm pretty easy to work with, I'm pretty easy to talk to. You. I try to give you every opportunity to like, you know, discuss things with me and to be heard out. 
even when like you know we have to again but you know when you're when you're shooting you have to move 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 so you can only allow like x amount of time for any particular conversation or or point of discussion or whatnot you know what i mean yeah yeah with all that being said if you're then going to i don't know be petty about certain things or complain that we're doing like i remember once like years ago i had someone complain that we're like and not even to me directly but that's we were doing too many takes and that like blew my mind because we did like, like, first of all, like this is a, like a, an actor a, complained to you about that. Yeah. Not to, again, not to me directly, but to someone uh, I'll just, I'm going to keep this very vague, but to someone like involved in the, in the production and you know, and that person told me and I was just kind of like, I couldn't really, but I, I think we did, I think it was six takes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was something like not that uh, out of bounds. Like we're talking six takes, maybe seven. But for me, it's like you know I wanted to keep doing like you know so I'd give like little adjustments like here and there because I kind of wanted to keep exploring it. And I felt like each time we did it, like they were kind of like we were kind of like finding new little things and little nuances that I wanted to keep you know. Um, and like okay, we're you know we're we're on we're on schedule. I'm like okay, we have time for like another couple of takes. Like let's do it. Let's like keep seeing like what else we can discover like within the scene because we can. You know what I mean? And we're all here like pulling for the same thing. And like isn't this great? Like we're on set and we're doing what we love to do. <laughs> and like you know that's how I'm feeling. And I feel like that's how most people were feeling. So then to hear like that, and this is also like the anniversary of the you know the 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 passing of like one of my closest friends. And, you know, and one of my like, original collaborators, uh, who's also, you know, an actor and a producer. And, yeah, he had passed away that day, um, like, a year prior. So, anyway, so then when, like, you know, I heard that, like, this person was complaining that we're doing too many takes, like, you know. I didn't lose it. Yeah, I, had to, I had to take a, side, like, a five-minute sidebar because all I'm thinking about, like, you know, if Mark was here, you know, just you know what I mean, like how lucky these people should feel, like not that we all should feel to be able to show up in a you know collaborative, like welcoming environment and be able to to create something together, to team up and to do what we love to do. And so just don't yeah. don't whine and don't complain about having to do like you know, <laughs> especially when it's not like it's not like I'm asking like it's not like it's some kind like, of crazy stunt like they're having to do too many takes up. It's like it's a dialogue. It's an indoor dialogue scene. Things are pretty comfortable, you know what I mean, like physically and whatnot. There's no kind of like crazy exertion going on. Like you're sitting there, like having a dis- uh, conversation. You know what I mean. So these aren't like, um, yeah, painful circumstances or whatever. And it's not oh like man, it's- that that's that story. Yeah, it touches me. That's definitely the big one of the big burdens I feel like of being uh, a director, it, being that leader. And you know, at the end of the day, you're always asked anything you ask people. You're asking them to do work, and people just don't like doing work. <laughs> yeah, which I don't get. I, so even man. even when it's easy, and even when you think it should be fulfilling for them, and, and it should be their career, and like what they want to do, and all these things, right. you're still gonna get those those complaints and the whining, and too many takes, and too long a day, and why do we have to shoot outside, and why don't we have to shoot at night, and all these kinds of things, and. Right. It's draining, but like that stuff just never, never goes away. Because at the end of the day, you're always making people work. Yeah, but again, like you were saying, though, it's it's you know it's very fulfilling, like rewarding work, and it's work that you signed up for. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no, I get you. I get you, man. It's 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 maddening a bit. I've stopped saying fun. I want to stop saying fun. <laughs> I don't want stuff to be fun. 
Not not that I don't want set to be fun, but I don't want fun to be the goal, right? Like I want I want the process of making the film to be fulfilling. Yeah, I, I do I usually wear the word fulfilling too. But I, I hear what you're saying. A lot of but, it's but semantics. fun is a dangerous yeah. word because you know sometimes people take the fun thing too far. <laughs> Let me and, rephrase uh, then: positive, be, a positive experience, a positive fulfilling experience. Yes, positive experience. That's not like Definitely. it doesn't feel like you know. It's like oh, here I am at this fucking gig. Like you know, wish I could get out of this. It's like no, you're yes. showing up and you're like you're fired up and you're ready to contribute. And to like bring what you have yeah. to bring to the table and really like make the most of the day. So I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing I will say though, uh, you know, based on sort of one of the things you've been saying, I was talking about these red flags and like these things that I'm looking for. Um, and I think it's important to keep in mind that once you once you commit to somebody, once you choose somebody to be your collaborator, like that's not the end of the road and that's not a permanent decision, right? And so I've, you know, and this is something I'm still learning and I'm still struggling with. But as soon as you start to see that smoke, as soon as you start to see those warning signs, like I'm learning, I just need to have a conversation about that stuff right away. Like right. nip it in the bud, you know, address that smoke before it becomes a giant wildfire and there's two reasons for that one a lot of times if you just have a conversation especially as it concerns your expectations for things or why you're worried about something it'll just get corrected right then and there maybe somebody's showing up to all your meetings 15 minutes late and like that's bothering you you you're worried about that if you go and talk to that person and you say hey this is a big deal for me or whatever can you please show up on time you know, most people who want to be a part of the project are just going to fix that right then and there. They may not have even been thinking that it's a problem. Right. The other part of it, too, especially if it's early in the process, like say you've done your casting, you've chosen this person, you bring them to the first table to read or whatever, and they show up like 20 minutes late and they don't seem to be apologizing about it or anything like this is just a story. This is not this is just an example. This is not like hard and fast. But if you do have that conversation with that person, and they don't seem willing to change, that might be an even bigger red flag. And it's better to correct it now while it's early so that you can pivot away from that person if you need to and get somebody who's more going to be more on board the way you can as opposed to letting it linger, letting it continue and to bother you. And that small thing like festers into either like some resentment from you or resentment from them or that small thing was a signifier of really just how this person wasn't right for the role. We get so worried about having these conversations. We're so conflict adverse as a species, most of us, that we're worried about bringing up our issues or, or, or the little things that bug us. But almost every time that I have those conversations, one, I feel myself growing because it's a little bit painful to force myself out of that shell. But two, like it was always the right move. I'm going to have to, to hop off in a couple minutes here. So I feel like we got more to discuss. Yeah, I was about to say, all this. we just started with casting and that was like, that was like 45 <laughs> minutes gone in like no time. We kind of, we did wind up, we started with casting and then we just kind of like naturally wound up going into, you know. A little bit into, into a little like bit into it. Stuff like yeah, that. yeah. If you're game, I would love to hear one of like your top 10 movies or a film that is very, you know, influential for you movie that you love, one that inspires you, and, and why it inspires you? The film for me, really, in terms of inspiration and, and sort of really changed my course as a filmmaker was The Puffy Chair, the Duplass Brothers' first gotcha. feature film. At the time when I was watching it, I was trying to get into grad school for filmmaking and trying to really restart myself as a filmmaker. 
And I watched that film. I remember it was on Netflix streaming for a long time in the early days of Netflix streaming. And I just picked it out randomly one night. And the film just really, it really blew my mind because I had never seen anything like it. It, It's a film about sort of a couple going on a road trip together, basically. I saw so, so much of my own relationships within that movie. I'd never seen something so true to me portrayed on screen and then the other part of it was like that movie is insanely low budget i think they made it for like ten thousand dollars or something like that Mm -hmm. and it has a very technically rough aesthetic and like none of that mattered i was so emotionally engaged and so shook by that film in a way that i hadn't been up to that point and so for me as a filmmaker i i took huge amount of inspiration to it because i was like they had like no money no crew and you know they were improvising dialogue and doing this very like slice of life very sort of realistic from their perspective kind of story and i was like i need to figure this out i need to figure out how to do this because if they can just get all of these feelings out of me in this very rough way with just these two actors in a room basically most of the most of the movie that's what i need to be doing as a filmmaker i need to figure out how to do that because if you can do that with those circumstances like you can make anything you know you can make any sort of emotion tell any sort of story work if you can figure out how to do that and so that sort of one launched me into this huge journey of searching up every kind of like mumblecore film that i could i think this was around 2009 when i when i'd done this so it was sort of like the mid late phase of that that whole mumblecore thing and i found basically sort of every single one of those movies i could and, and just gobbled them all up and two like i started experimenting and making my own films in that way and i think my skills as a filmmaker improved immensely and i i think i really started working on a lot of the tools that i still use today in my work and obviously it's it's changed and mutated over time and you know i don't think that movie is like a perfect movie or anything like that it has a lot of flaws but i still think it, it's it's beautiful in its heart and its earnestness and and for me it still holds a very special place in my own heart it was the perfect movie at the perfect time it was the movie at that time that i needed to see to to get inspired and and to launch me on the path yeah just after that i made three sort of like improvised mumblecore short films like over the next six months and that really raised my confidence a lot going into grad school and uh it really also helped me foster being an actor-centric performance-centric director which i you know i still that's my favorite part of the process so yeah, all of that from from the little puffy chair and the Duplass brothers. Have you seen it? No, man. I need to watch it. And it's funny too because that's one I've heard a lot about over the years, and I already love the Duplass brothers. I mean, those are two guys who I have a lot of respect for. Like I've had certain people, like you know, say that my stuff is like Duplass brothers, like or whatever. Or they made certain comparisons, which I always love because I yeah, I absolutely love those guys. And I've also gotten the mumblecore thing. But for me, that's I've always kind of like thought I've had like my thing is like a mumblecore kind of like aesthetic and vibe. But I'm like super like way big into uh, screenwriting <laughs> into the script and to actually, actually yeah. you know, like writing out every single line of dialogue. So that is where like we differ like in our, our approach. I mean, what I gather that overall they do more of like an outline. To me, as sort of a historian of it, mumblecore 
is was a specific time, specific place, kind of movement of filmmakers. And like for a lot of people, it's become sort of a shorthand for like independent yes, film. Totally. And and I feel like that's a little bit of a bit of a misnomer and stuff. Um, it can be, yeah, yeah. So it's fortunate like this week I had another uh, a new a new fan came along, really nice guy who watched Save Yourself and sent me your lovely email. It meant a lot to me. And then I wrote him back, and then right before we hopped on, he wrote me back. He'd come across my stuff because of um, another fan, this guy, really great guy, he's a film professor in Florida, and he was saying how, so anyway, the (laughs) the new fan, this guy Vincent, really cool guy, and saying that the professor, basically Chris, had told him, used to talk about like he had emailed, he's caught the puppy chair like really early on, and had emailed Mark Duplass, and they they had a good correspondence going uh, for a while and stuff there. And, uh, you know, Mark DePaul is oh, a really great guy and stuff. But he was basically talking yeah. about the puppy chair and Chris's relationship with that movie and with, you know, Mark, uh, like right before we hopped on. So when you brought the puppy chair, I'm like, all signs are pointing towards I need to finally see the puppy chair. This past week, I sent my filmmaker reel to two filmmakers on Instagram. I'm like shot in the dark. I don't know if they even check these Instagram messages, but, you know, you're allowed to like send them messages. Like a lot, some people you can't yeah, send a yeah. message. But it was Mark Duplass yep. and Jay Duplass, and I sent the, I sent them my reel. So well, uh, good luck, sir. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, again, just like I really I really respect those guys and what they do, and so I was like, I'm, mine as well. Like, it doesn't fucking hurt to put yourself out there. Uh, on that note, I gotta go. Uh, this has been great. Yeah, you got um, things, you got responsibilities. I'm gonna go play some video games. Been playing lots of Call of Duty Warzone, so nice. uh, I might go get back to that. Those are also <laughs> responsibilities of a sort. No, uh, <laughs> they're, they're the opposite. But take care well, of yourself, man. Um, you too, man. Let's plan for this, I guess, a week from now. Yeah, sounds great. All right, buddy. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Cool. See you on. Later. Bye. Bye. Welcome back. You are with future or present or... We were... I don't know. The t- yeah. we got our, At the beginning the of the episode, we the were... Timelines fu- are confused. We would have been future Clinton and Allen, but now we are here. We are present Clinton and Allen. Yeah. My first question to you, Allen, yes. is, did the Duplass brothers get back to you? <laughs> Good question. No, absolutely not. They were, my I, my no, second question yes, to you. Yes, go ahead. Uh-huh. Have you watched The Puffy Chair? I absolutely did. I watched it like pretty much immediately after we recorded that episode. Because as I'd mentioned, like you, it was you, and then uh, Vincent had mentioned it. It had come up to me a lot before, so yeah, I, I I finally took it as a sign that I need to to dive in and check it out. And I I thought it was great. I need to rewatch it. I've been dating my current partner for like coming up on close to two years now, and she hasn't oh, wow. seen that. And I feel like she's missing a piece dropping of dropping the ball there. My identity. One thing that did really strike strike me about our discussions with working with actors and collaborators and things like that is the funny thing was, I said that. You know, I didn't want to work with somebody who wasn't dedicated to their career and wasn't just I didn't want to. I specifically said, I don't want to work with somebody. I don't want to cast somebody who's going to work, who's going to do the movie and and then then quit acting right afterwards. And literally the next actor I cast. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's crazy. No, other than that, I mean, I still share a lot of the same thoughts and sentiments as as, as I shared uh, in that discussion. You know, when you are vetting people, and when especially when you're trying to nip problems in the bud, uh, let me. I don't think this is something that I said and or emphasize enough. It's like that's not easy to do. That's not an automatic thing. Like it's just not an automatic process. Like just because right. you're aware 
problems could be there that they're necessarily easy to do or it's easy to like find time to have those conversations and stuff so i don't want anybody listening to this to think it's just like oh you're fucking up by not doing that it's like i had those same kind of issues come up in projects i've worked on since then where there was warning signs earlier in the process and i even tried to talk about them tried to address them and I wasn't maybe clear enough or didn't go hard enough at them or I didn't see all the warning signs that I should have. And so I don't think it's like that is an important thing to be mindful of. And you want to be proactive in in addressing problems or or addressing like things that are worrying to you. But also it's totally understandable if that some of that stuff slips by or you don't see all the warning signs. Yeah. You strive to be able to suss out. (laughs) <laughs> the issues and to be able to, to nip them in the bud and talk things through like as, as early on as possible so that, you know, to ensure that you have the right team and that once you have that team in place that you're all on the same page, unified front and all that. But um, yeah, things will still pop up though. Issues that you thought you maybe had taken care of or just weren't on your radar at all are just going to pop up. So it's all about as much as possible trying to take care of things as early on as you can. But again, certain things will come up. You just do the best you can, basically. Something that you didn't predict about someone is going to to flare up and potentially cause an issue at, at some point, no matter how much you try to prevent the fires from starting in the first place. Any other last thoughts? I'm really enjoying going back and listening to these episodes that we recorded like two years ago. I'm feeling good about the progress since then and just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in, in, for the most part, in agreement with everything that I was thinking back then. I'm still, yeah. That all still sounds about about right to me. All right. I think uh, that about does it for us today. Thank you so much for checking out episode four. Yes. Thank you. Uh, you can contact us at wearestorylife at gmail.com. Also, please check out our website, wearestorylife.com, where you'll find more information about us, what we do, as well as links to our Patreon and social media pages. Thank you to our awesome editor, Mr. Mike Jimenez, for his great work. And thank you to our friends and family for all of their support. You can follow me, Clinton Cornwell, on Instagram. Uh, Just look up my name, basically. Or any of the social medias, really. It's a pretty unique name, so come find me. Nice. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Vimeo at Alan C. Gardner, A-L-L-E-N. And on Instagram at Alan C. Gardner Movies. Also, Cold Feet is currently available on Amazon Prime, the Roku channel, Google Play, and YouTube. And my other movies are available on several platforms, including Being Awesome, Save Yourself, and Act One on Tubi. And We Got Lucky and Bad Bad Men on Amazon. We have many more episodes coming up, so please subscribe and join us next week. This has been Clinton Cornwall. And Alan C. Gardner. With the Story Life Podcast. (laughs) Take care. Thanks. Thanks.